My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Don Montgrand and Candace Paul. It would be hard to find something more fundamental to Canada as a historical project or to social struggles in our current moment than conflict between, on the one side, colonial capitalist resource extraction driven by companies and by the Canadian state, and on the other side, indigenous nations and their allies resisting, asserting sovereignty, and defending the land. Montgrand and Paul are Dene people from northern Saskatchewan, Montgrand, who is 59, recalls a time before development began to have a major impact on the land there. But then roads were built, a uranium mine opened with a promise of prosperity that never arrived and with major health impacts on the locals who got jobs there. And in more recent years, there are more than 100 companies exploring and doing preliminary work on various resource extraction projects in northern Saskatchewan, most related to uranium or to tar sands. The impact on the land, the animals, the food supply, and the people has already, compared to Montgrand's youth, been extensive, and it will only intensify if projects are allowed to go ahead. Yet with elected leadership that they say is not responsive to the concerns of the people, and with purely token consultation from governments, it is only grassroots action that has a chance of stopping the devastation. The Northern Dene Trappers Alliance is a grassroots group that originally came together about 15 years ago and mounted a highway blockade at that time in an effort to defend land use. As harm to land and people has mounted, and efforts to register objections to extraction projects have been ignored, they decided they needed to act again, and blockaded commercial traffic on a major highway in late November of last year. In early December, the RCMP intervened and dismantled the blockade, but the Alliance has maintained a camp at the site throughout the winter. In January at the camp, they held a major three-day meeting of grassroots Dene people, where a strong consensus emerged to pursue a range of projects related to defending the land and to strengthening language and culture. Montgrand and Paul talk with me about the territory, the blockade, and the powerful groundwork they're laying for a clean land and a strong people. We spoke by Skype to phone from northern Saskatchewan. I'm Candace Paul from English River First Nation, a member of Committee for Future Generations. And I'm helping support the Northern Dene Trapper Alliance with some of the communication support. My name is Don Mongrass. I'm 59 years old. I've been living in this land all my life in that country. I am the spokesperson for this whole Dene region here. It's almost like Candace said, we're all together in this Holocaust nation. Our plan was to block this highway just to get our people to get intention across the Canada so we could get this country back. That's where we are right now. I asked Montgrand to tell me about the area, and he began by talking about how it had been back when he was a child in the 1960s. To start it out with, back in 1965, 62, 63, I remember as a kid, 
But we lived in up north from 65, 1967. I remember still all this country, the charm, all this, there was no highway at all, any place. Anywhere you go, there's animals. You eat any place, clean water, clean, anything you name it. It's all there, birds, all the animals nearby that time. You didn't have to go two or three hundred miles to go kill anything like those days. In the 1970s, though, government and industry began encroaching on the land. In those days, there was often not even token consultation, and he talks about finding out about surveying by seeing a helicopter flying overhead, and about road building by hearing the tractors cutting through the bush. Back in the 70s, we started surveying the country with the proper. I remember as a kid, that time I was living in this charm lake. I guess we were kids, we didn't know what the kind of chopper was, but it was flying across the lake. We didn't know what the chopper was for. Like the first time when they were surveying already. Then it was back in 72, 73, I believe, when we heard a big sound of tractor getting up behind uh, the sound lake. My dad heard it in the evening when it's nice and calm. We used to hear these tractors. We didn't know what it was. I guess that time they were building highways without no consultation to this community or the northern region. Second time they built the road when we moved into Saskatchewan, we lost by air for school. I remember they built a highway right from the center of the town, of our town, the lost, and there's no consultation was even done. Even that initial road building and the vehicles that allowed into the area had an impact that was felt by the community. That's the time when they scared the whole animals away, the life, our meals, our food. Everything was cleared away at that time because animals are not used to machines that are coming through the bush. And all of this led later in the 1970s to the opening of a uranium mine near Clough Lake. It was opened with great promises of prosperity and a new life, but the prosperity never arrived, those who worked in the mine mostly died young, and animals became even more scarce in the surrounding territory. I guess they were building a highway to the Clough Lake mine site. When they opened the mine, South Lake back in 77, 78, we all said that South Lake people, the lost people, the surrounding communities got a, got a good job. They're supposed to live off the land. They're supposed to get all this money or whatever to these communities in the northern region. But today, nobody got this, what they were offered. And the people that used to work back there, they all died, all gone. All the people that used to work there, that none of them are alive today. Because how many years back, animals were close by, I told you, today there's nothing. You have to go two, three hundred miles to get maybe, you're lucky, you get a caribou moose. You have to spend about three hundred dollars for gas. You still come home with empty. I asked Montgrand and Paul to talk about the founding of the Northern Dene Trappers Alliance. People decided that many, many years ago, like I said, we had no name, but that was the first block that we were together that time. People, they were involved already. They were all involved when we put up a blockage regarding the, the land there back in 2001. Not one of our leaders is working with us. They are against us. They are the ones that signed this country, the land away to the oil companies without consulting their own people. It's all confidential what they sign away, so it's really tough for us. When these companies come in to negotiate, they have the elected leaders. Those are the only ones that they'll talk to is people with titles. They have them sign confidentiality agreements. They say it's for business purposes. 
but that doesn't allow them any longer to share what they are finding out with the people of their communities. And that's been part of the big problem because then they're no longer going to their people for their thoughts on things and their stand regarding the land and land uses. I asked them to lay out the context for the more recent blockade, the one that began last November. We're talking about two blockades. There was one to try and get the land use back, back in 2001. And then just recently, this one was put together, what, in November, Don? It was before that, but like I said, it was really tough to get people together. But we were trying this for so many years by writing letters, sending letters, passing letters. But they're all put away in the garbage. I guess nothing, nothing come back in the return to us people in the north. So we caught up with these Facebook that young people are carrying around. So one day we found out about that, and so we put it on Facebook. That's when we started. Well, that was back end of the October, I guess. We had no choice but to take a big step. Like I told you before, back from the years, it's the people's territory. That's their livelihood, their land. It's our country, you know. That's where we get our food off. Everything comes from that bush. Our backyard, our territories. So there's no other way we can stop these companies that's going in without consulting again and again, over and over. But they don't seem to want to listen. They don't care because the agreement was signed, so they're just right in there. They started getting letter after letter from different companies and the Saskatchewan Department for Environment and Resources. And each one had like one month call us if you got a concern. You know, and that's what they called consultation. They said on every single one of them that the government said their environmental impact statements were fine and that it was only going to cause low impact to their traditional land use and their rights to that. But, okay, if one company is out there, that's not too terrible. But there's company after company after company, and they keep getting more letters. They're still getting letters. And, you know, one plus one plus one plus one does not leave a low impact. And they found that there's starting to be security at some of these places. They can't even go to where they usually hunt or trap. And there's helicopters flying all over the place, disturbing the wildlife. Got to be to the point where they're starting to see what happened in Alberta is happening in northern Saskatchewan. There's bands and communities in Alberta where they got no land use left. It's all sectioned out, blocked off. They can't get to even the graves of their late family members on the land. And that's gotten to be a big concern up here because there is a rush for resources up here. And we asked for information from the government and they wouldn't get it. Finally, I've gotten a map of who has what claims on what. And there's over 122 claims in the region. And that's a lot. Mainly uranium. There's oil sands. But that's kind of on hold right now. The oil sands is on hold due to the market right now. But that's temporary and we know it. And there's some diamonds, there's some gold, but primarily uranium and oil sands. And both those have a really terrible legacy environmental damage. I asked next about the blockade itself. Montgrand began by talking about the blockade that happened in 2001. When we had a blockade back in 2001, we were kids, people, elders, like my mom and dad and everybody. We didn't know we were surrounded by snipers. Nobody knew they were out there. But like I said, this is our country. Why would they, they be armed? You know? At that time, we faced a gunpoint, M16 gunpoint, right in our face. 
Too bad we didn't have a camera back then in 2001. Like now, we never checked it out. We still faced it. Over 300 snipers in the bush that came out after two weeks. And how much millions of dollars did they spend? I don't give a damn about millions of dollars. But anyway, why would they be armed like for us with babies in the bush? We're trying to protect our country where we eat off from. And then he moved in to talking about the blockade that happened late last year. That's why today we took it the second action. And we're not going to take any more third action. This is our last action. It's our last. I'm not going to say it again. And, and people know what I'm talking about. I want this Canada across the world to hear this. They want this land so bad, they can take it with us on it. Dead or alive, this is mine and all people from the northern regions. We decided to put a blockade. We blocked the whole company off, and we're not going to let one through. Because, like I told you, we had no choice. Somewhere we had to stop this vehicle that's going north. We're getting sick and tired of Like I said, there's not much of our land left out there that's green, and not much of our clean water left. Who knows how many animals are left out there? Not much left out there, but we had to fight back, and there's no choice for us to step back no more. So we just decided. What we want them is to want those whole companies to get out of that area. You know, the way it was before, it's not going to be the same, but at least they could leave that damn place alone because they should have involved the whole northern region before they get out there. Many of the young people are also very concerned about the health risks of some of this development. Right now, as the government's saying, it's only exploration. The companies are saying it could be between 5 and 15 years before there's any mines. But people got this story before. When they opened the Cloth Lake mine, they were told they'd get this economic prosperity, and it didn't happen. Few people got jobs, and like Don said, most of those people have already passed away young of cancer. And so the young people are saying, well, why do we want those kind of jobs? And yet we're being pushed into a corner where that's all we're being offered. We want different kinds of sustainability, local sustainable economy that really meets our needs and looks at our values as people in the North. And that means protecting and looking after the land and water and the animals and the plants and the medicines that grow there. And they're already being impacted by the tar sands, acid rain. We know what that leads to, and people in those communities are dying like flies too. We're just being used to feed an industry that doesn't care about the people. The blockade began on November 22nd of last year, and from that point, all commercial traffic on the highway was stopped. But a little over a week after it began, the RCMP intervened and dismantled the blockade. Um, December 1st, the RCMP came with an injunction and took down the roadblock. All of a sudden, the RCMP showed up one after another, like the armies I told you about. And I said, what the hell is going on, you know? You got to take this blockade down. And he had their hand on their gun on the side there. They didn't pull it out, but... So right away, I told him, why do you have your, your hand on your guns here? I said, we only arm here with a plastic knife and force here. These kids here, you guys are blind or something. So I started getting mad because who wouldn't be? I had to get mad. I'm here standing in front of the highway in the middle of the road, and they're trying to force this company through. It's not their job to do that. So that's where we just about had a big problem. They just come right in without asking. You know, they were just going to start pushing us around. How about how many were there? At least more than, I don't know, 15, 16. 
I mean, we didn't do nothing here. No matter how many armies they can come up with from across the world, but we're not going to leave this country. As I said, and I'm going to say it again, they want it so bad, they got to take it with us on it, one way or the other. Enough is enough, you know. My people are tired, they're stressed out. As I speak, there's two bodies are laying right now in my town. And when the RCMP dismantled the blockade, they also ordered the Alliance to abandon their camp by the side of the highway. And on that point, the Alliance refused, and have maintained the camp ever since. The RCMP even took the trailer that they were using as part of the camp, but the Alliance has stayed anyway. They told us, you guys have to leave first. I said, you make us leave, I said. You want that trailer, you got that trailer towed, now you want us to leave? So you go to hell, I said. You want us, you arrest us and make us leave here, I said. We're on our territory here. You know, just ready for us to say something stupid or act stupid. They just waiting their hands on their guns, you know what I'm saying? And I don't like it. Every time I see RCMP vehicle, police vehicle, I don't trust them anymore, not one bit, because every time you turn on the TV, how many RCMP killing people, innocent people? We're not here to kill nobody. We're here to, to protect our country, and we're still going to protect it. This camp never went down. Every night, as you speak, people, they're in and out 24-7 here. We have a little meeting, sitting down. We've got a little problem sometimes, but that's nothing. But it makes us stronger when they pull the trailer away. They decide we're going to leave, but no. They create more power for us. We've got more support across Canada. We didn't do nothing wrong. That's why we're getting support. So we're going to keep on, and this camp is going to be growing. As soon as the snow is going level, it'll be a big camp. Because of the weather, we don't have much people, like old people. But we do have people 24-7 here, every day, supporting us camp. We're still going pretty well here. In the end of January, we had a three-day meeting. Prior to that, the government was talking about negotiating and wanted to have them come behind closed doors to a meeting in the neighboring town of Buffalo Narrows. And Don stood really strong and said, no, you're going to come out here if you want to meet with us. You can meet with us at this camp. So we set meeting dates for three days. And they let us know the day before the meeting started that they would not be attending. So it really showed the people that the government has no interest in what they think and what they need and what they want. Nor did they have any interest in providing any of that, any support for that. So people got together. There were over 150 people that came and went during the three days of that meeting. Not one single elected leader from Saskatchewan showed up, and everybody was invited. So this was a meeting of the people, and the people all had a voice, and it was like they had a voice for the first time since the signing of the treaties. And they made very strong commitments that we're going to be back on on the land. We're going to be using the land. People were taken off the land, you know, to make way for industries. They were taken off the land by closing the schools and their communities. And people had to move into the larger town of Laloche to have their children educated. So plans have been made from the results of this meeting. As Don said, the camp is going to get bigger. More camps are going to pop up in different places across the north. We're going to start educating our people. We're going to start really saying, hey, this is not an empty land. This land is our land. We're here, and we don't want you here. So there's a lot of work coming up in the spring. 
we're going to be working on some land-based education plans. We're going to be working on some gardening to support local food because food up north here, you know, that's what he's talking about is interference with our food supplies. The animals are disappearing. The fish are being contaminated. That's one of the major sources of our food in the north. So we're going to do what we have to to let the animals rebuild, reestablish themselves, and develop growing our own foods, whatever it takes. We're going to be also working on some alternative housing projects so that people aren't stuck in Saskatchewan rental housing and can be on their own and be independent. Because what all this done bringing people off the land has made people dependent a lot of this is about maintaining and empowering the Denisofine culture. Consensus was that everybody is concerned about animals in terms of, you know, we depend on them and they depend on us. It's up to us now to protect them. People are concerned about, with the possibility of these mines opening up, health concerns. The Losh region, the Sharm region, the language of the Dene people is still really strong and intact. The children still speak fluently, and that's something that needs to be protected as well. The culture is alive through the language, and the identity of the people as a people is alive in the land. And that is the binding thread that ties everybody together in this. Everybody understands the big picture. We talked a lot about the big picture, about how these uranium companies and stuff, what it's going to do, where it's going to go, who's going to make the money from it, and what's going to be left behind when they're done. And it isn't anything that anybody wants. There's a lot of people that know, yeah, we don't have jobs in our communities, but they're willing to make a sacrifice to develop something better and to keep their independence and to keep their lands and waters intact. I've heard Don say a dozen times, there's only a little bit of green, clean land left, and it's here, and we have to look after it. So consensus was strong throughout. Emotions were high. People really feel this deeply, this connection to the land. And we're tired of government. We're tired of companies coming in and telling us how to live and telling us they know better than we do. So people are ready. They're standing behind this. They're waiting for things to happen, and they're going to take what it does within, you know, respectful, peaceful means to do it, to have their land back and to look after it. I asked Montgrand and Paul to share with me which, among the many exciting plans and ideas that emerged from the three-day meeting in January, they were most excited about. The number one thing is to keep our generation, eat something clean, something alive clean from the area that we live on, from like before. We want our people to be healthy, enough of people dying. We don't want that to see no more. We want our clean land back. That's all we want from them. We don't need their money. We don't want to be told what, what to do anymore. We're not kissing. We can do it our way, the way we were before. For me, it's exciting that we can take control of our own lives and start to work on things through our own perspective with the respective values of our culture. All of our children are Dene children, and we want them to be strong in the culture. We want them to be happy about who they are. 
So working on a land-based education program is one of the things that my husband and I are taking on. What kinds of barriers or obstacles do you think might be put in the way by the government, by the companies, to the kinds of plans that you want to move forward with? The barriers are government and the way that they have kept people in a state of poverty so that when they come with money, they think everybody's going to jump up and take it because we really have no other choice. And that's where they've pushed a lot of the leaders in our communities as well. So that's a barrier. The leaders are really feeling the heat in the communities because they've got government offering them money on one side and keeping them poor at the same time. So one of the barriers is communication with the elected leadership. And the elected leadership needs to start communicating and listening to the people. We don't expect in any way, shape, or form that these companies are going to go away easily. And it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of input and monitoring of what their activities are. And we've got to do some really strategic planning on how we're going to convince these industries that it's not worth their while to keep perpetuating the destruction that they're doing. That's a toughie. But at the same time, I'm feeling really positive because just this week in northern Saskatchewan, after a four-year battle with the possibility of storing high-level nuclear waste in the province, we got the last community that was looking at it eliminated from the process. So it can be done. We know it can be done. What kind of support from people living in other places would be useful to the ongoing struggle in northern Saskatchewan? That's a good question. All support that we can get, any support that comes from the people's heart, especially when they give you advice what to do with these people that in your country, how to go about it, and all this information that they share with us, and all these things, and all the support that they're giving us, and all these donations like the food and all this stuff they're supporting us with. So that's keeping us so strong here. We don't have to have a million dollars to run the show here. We're still going to do it with one way or the other, like I said. That's why we're so strong. We sat in the tent, minus 51 below, and we're still here, so we're not giving up. I would say that the kind of support that's needed now is materials and if people got skills to share, like building skills, gardening skills, seeds, building materials, teachers that are willing to become part of a land-based growing teacher program that's going to have no money. <laughs> you know, people with heart and people with a desire to be part of a big change in the world, they'd be more than welcome. Whether they're Dene people or any kind of people, it doesn't matter. Those are the big things. Of course, financial support is always welcome, but our goal eventually is to become self-sufficient, but we got a ways to go to get there. Anybody with new ideas is more than welcome, too. You have been listening to my interview with Don Montgrand and Candace Paul of the Northern Dene Trappers Alliance. To learn more about their work, Search for Northern Trappers Alliance on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.